Life Radio. Stories at the intersection of music and life. Welcome to another episode of Music Life Radio. I am your host, Dan Sauter. Music Life Radio is a free podcast available on iTunes and your interwebs at musicliferadio.com, and it features interviews and stories about and related to music. Welcome back to Music Life Radio, part two of the Jeff Robinson story. Jeff Robinson, guitar player for the band Blood Circus, talks about their first and last American tour and how they broke up at the end of it, why they later reformed for the movie Hype, and how they continue to play rock music under the names of Pine Monkey and Cowboy Inhaler long after the Seattle scene broke apart. Blood Circus set the stage for Seattle grunge. No other band in history should get more credit for the title, and in 1994, when their album Primal Rock Therapy was re-released on CD, the rock critics gave it a higher rating than Incesticide by Nirvana. Four out of five stars, finally giving the band its due. But first, let us listen to The Outback, their song on the Sub Pop 200 album that made me fall in love, and then we'll get right back into stories from Blood Circus's past and find out where the members of the band are today. Sit back and enjoy another episode of Music Life Radio, Part 2, Blood Circus, The Jeff Robinson Story. Blood Circus is Michael Anderson, guitar and vocals, Doug Day drums, Tracy T-Man sends on bass, and Jeff Robinson on guitar. Here's the Outback by Blood Circus.
remember T-Man saying, and we were at a gig in Nirvana playing the Vogue, and they had really cheap, shitty equipment. You know, uh, Josh Channing was playing that drum set that had, it was one of those tube sets that curved. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I remember, and uh, T-Man looked over and he said, these guys, they're going to go to the top. He said it, just like prophecy. I mean, T-Man, T-Man had, Oh, 5,000 records in his record collection. Yeah. T-Man knew what good sounded like, and I had no idea. I mean, I had, my record collection consisted of about a half dozen cassettes, for God's yeah. sakes. What other memorable uh, stories do you have from uh, gigs like with Soundgarden or Nirvana or on tour? I know you, you mentioned a West Coast tour where you played in San Francisco. Well, there's a couple of stories that really stand out for me. We played San Francisco, and we played the Covered Wagon. And the night before... Guar and Gigi Allen had played. If ever, oh, no. if ever there were a combination, <laughs> two bands to play in a place, that was, oh god! Thank God we didn't have to go on before or after those guys. Uh, <laughs> but we did in a sense because it was the next night, and you could still smell the stage was still damp from pine saw. Yeah, I was going to say a lot of bodily fluids were probably yeah. <laughs> screened in <during> the show. <laughs> so we walked in the club and got a strong whiff of pine saw, and we. <laughs> stood over and asked the guy, what, what the hell? What's going on? It smells like a freaking hospital in here. <laughs> oh, yeah, Gigi Allen played last night. <laughs> I, I looked at Michael and I said, Michael, who the fuck is Gigi Allen? Oh, you don't want to know. <laughs> and then he told me later on, I said, holy shit. You know, like, went out and bought a Gigi Allen record the next day. <laughs> but, uh, and, uh, and I remember we were playing that gig and uh, there was some band that's supposed to play with us, and they crapped out. So they made a phone call. We told them here uh, they were Soundgarden was playing at this other club. It may, it, may have, it may have been the Chatterbox, and they had already played. And somehow they made a call, and Soundgarden came over and played after us. Wow! Chris Cornell got up on the stage, and he said, "Hey, I'm Chris Cornell. This is Soundgarden, and we're doing this for five hundred bucks." <laughs> <laughs> and that was the show you know and they played a good show and then another time we were in dc on our north american tour and we toured with lay thugs those guys lay thugs they took pictures the old time the whole time all those guys were soccer players they were kicking balls and hacky sacks all the time it was strange touring with those guys you couldn't understand what they said uh i didn't know any french uh they were great they were great people and we we're still friends with them anyway we're in washington dc and we we played with Tad. I think Nirvana was playing too. We were backstage, and one of the things that we did is when we were on tours, we always carried a bottle of Jägermeister with us, and we would put a Jägermeister in the coo- in a cooler that we had to have as a ceremonial post gig uh, drink, toast, so to speak. We were kind of superstitious, and uh, at times. So we put our, our Jägermeister in the cooler, and it was like a little magnum of Jägermeister. It was enough just for all. And that's one thing we didn't we didn't like to do. We didn't like to get up there drunk. We we always we wouldn't smoke weed before we'd get up there. We'd some a lot of times we try to eat eat something before we got up there. We always played better when we ate. And uh, and then but once we got done, it was time to party. Yeah. And uh, so we got done with our part of the show, and we went down. And Kurt was sitting in the green room, and he, he had polished off that whole bottle of Jägermeister. And 
it really pissed Michael <laughs> off. It really yeah. pissed Michael off. So Kurt and Michael got into a fight. And I was just kind of on the fringes looking, and I was kind of heading out the door. I said, fuck this. I, I, I don't think I was feeling that well that night because I, I got the flu when I, when we were on tour, and it was pretty rough. And I just remember that. And that's kind of, uh, we believe that Kurt hated Michael from that point on. Not that he ever liked us that much because we were all big. And now yeah. after after later finding out that Kurt, Kurt, you know, he got picked on a lot by jocks in high school, and he hated big guys. He thought we were jocks. You know, we weren't jocks. None of us were jocks. Yeah, just the opposite. Yeah, like. exactly. Yeah, I mean, Michael liked to skateboard and surf, but, you know, and I surfed a little bit when I was in California. But anyway, there was that. Let's see, what's another story? Oh, Buffoon's Electric uh, in Montreal. Uh, best damn show I ever played. The second best was Omaha. Believe it or not, I don't know why. It just stands out in my mind. It was just the way the crowd was. But in in, in Montreal, uh, we played with SNFU. It was Les Thugs, Us, SNFU. We played middle position, SNFU headlined. And in those days, the headliner was the big show. Nowadays, you know, the middle slot a lot of times is the, the big show. Oh, yeah. And... Uh, and it's, you know, it's like the, the last band is the guy that ends up getting the crumbs. Yeah, but, he ended up playing at one thirty. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But if uh, Fafoons, and that that's still an ongoing concern. It's, it's an art gallery. It's a coffee house. It's a bar. It's a restaurant. It, it's everything. It's a place to score hash or it's a place to score a woman. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> or a guy, depending on which way you swing. You know, that's it's that kind of place. It's just a mecca. Of just super hipster, super cool culture at that time, at least. And we were just sitting there, you know, amazed. There were people smoking hash right in the bar. You know, it was, it was almost like a little mini Amsterdam there. And uh, I remember playing that show, and uh, women were taking their tops off and getting on their boyfriend's shoulders, just like at Woodstock. And I, I had a moment there, and I thought, my God, this is it. I've made it, you know. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm at Woodstock. <laughs> so, that, you know, that was my, those, those were some of the highlights for me. And uh, there were just some real moments of musical clarity, too, for us that really, we used to have this thing at the Vogue. We played the Vogue so much, I, I lost track of how many gigs we played there, but... We had a thing what we called the rhythm party where we'd all start and they would dim the lights and they, some guy would be running a light show and we would have all, we all grabbed, cause Doug had gotten a new set of drums and we got Doug's old drums. So we all grabbed a tom, one guy grabbed, grabbed one tom and we would start beating on drums and we called it the rhythm party. And, uh, we would beat on drums for 20 minutes before we played and then we'd put the drums aside and pick up our guitars and start playing and start playing in earnest. And that was always just a freak show. People were going nuts. I, I don't know. Maybe a lot of ecstasy was in the crowd at the time or something. I never did ecstasy and you know? I never had the opportunity, but, uh, I, it was just people were just, it was a tribal event. You know what I mean? It was like, <laughs> I just remember. That was a pretty intense time. Primal rock therapy. Exactly. The finest, that, yeah. That's kind of what we were, I guess, what we were going for. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, it sounds like a great way to build up the tension, you know, you know, before those beginning guitar licks start happening. Yeah. I think that'd be a great way to start a show. Yeah. Well, we did it. And, yeah. and they always, Doug was always complaining about how bad algorithm I was. <laughs> hey, man, I'm doing a syncopation, man. What are you talking about? Cut, cut me some slag, you know? Yeah. What were the uh, bands that you looked up to in the scene back in those days, and who were you friends with? Well, we were friends with The Fluid. That was the first. The Fluid and Swallow and Gorilla. Uh, Gorilla was probably one of our best friends. And Swallow was real. We were really tight. But The Fluid was brothers from Denver. Basically, we played basketball when we were on tour with the fluid. We really looked up to those guys when they, when they finally came to town and I had heard about them a lot because Michael knew these, all these guys. Michael played in a band called White Trash, which was the fluid without John Robinson and, uh, Ricky. Oh, I didn't know what that, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah. And, uh, uh, Ricky was playing in the Frantics at the time. And I, I forget what John Robinson was doing, but, uh, anyway, so we finally get to meet the fluid. We start hanging out with him. We start, you know, we toured with him. We, we played ball with him. Uh, they, they were our kindred spirits, really the fluid. They were the guys we really looked up to. We, they, they were the first guys to get on glitter house. Um, they, um, uh, they were just awesome. And to this day, I, I can't watch a, a fluid YouTube video or listen to a fluid song, particularly the live songs, the live performances, uh, without hair standing on, on my head. You know? Yeah. I, <laughs> when I was, I was at a school in Pennsylvania and I went to a bar called the Kyber pass. Yeah. We played that in, in Philadelphia. And, uh, I saw the fluid there for the first time and, oh man, it was such an awesome show. I wish I could have seen the fluid there, but I saw him in many other places. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he did. I remember uh, I was, was stage diving, uh, uh, and I remember it being a really long, narrow room. And I got all the way to the end of the room, and there was nobody else there to help <laughs> help me crowd surf, and I dropped right on my head. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, that's terrible. <laughs> but it was fun. It was worth it. happened to the band you guys broke up yeah yeah well 
it depends on whose side of the story you hear. Yeah. <laughs> I think we've all resolved now. We're old enough now where we can yeah. go back and say, oh, it was nobody's fault. But I think I pretty much got most of the blame at the time. Because, well, this is the way it was. I, I, I don't know any other way to put it. Um, there were a series of shows. We had, we Sub Pop deserted us. They supposedly they were supposed to do advanced promotion for us. That was Daniel House's department, I think, quite honestly. And uh, so there was supposed to be advanced promotion. So we didn't get advanced promotion. So in essence, a couple of our gigs got canceled uh, once we got to the West. And here we are. It's August, and we're in Arizona. And uh, so we ended up. Uh, we had a tour manager. He's got a guy named Jeff Hook who was coincidentally the tour manager for the meat puppets. And he was an experienced tour manager, but uh, everybody except for me, I think hated him. I liked him. I thought he was a good guy. Uh, He was a very diplomatic guy. But anyway, we ended up staying at his house for a couple of weeks, a week and a half, something like that. We emptied his mother's refrigerator. I guess his mom and his dad were gone. And, uh, so we all stayed there. It was an air conditioned place. Uh, there was food and it was the first time we had decent food pretty much in the entire tour. I mean, we were out, you know, almost 60 days for, for us. That was a long time without really, you know, we didn't stay in hotel rooms. We, we slept stayed at people's houses and stayed at people's houses. And I had a tent. Uh, if I had to, I, I would pop that tent in an air mattress and, uh, sleep there. It, to where I could, I I was really concerned about getting in situations where I wouldn't be able to get myself out of, particularly with uh, females, and uh, and this is me, you know, thinking and and at that time because I was in a committed relationship with a woman at the time, and uh, of course nothing like that ever presented itself to me, but that was the reason why I brought the tent. But I ended up using it a few times because we actually would stop at a rest stop. And uh, a couple of times we stopped at campgrounds, you know, to stay. And and so I ended up being one of the most comfortable people there. And I, <laughs> one time we were in Boston and we drove out to a campground out by Halibut Point. The uh, the mosquitoes let in, you know, because out by Halibut Point, that's where all the lobster fishing is. It's all rock. The stagnant pools of water and the rocks attract mosquito larvae. And at about six o'clock, the mosquitoes just started eating us alive. I mean, literally. And so we all, all me and the guys in the band, all and other people got in the bands and got in the car because we had a car and we had a van. And then I had my tent. And there, we got inside my tent and sat there. And I remember my tent became black with mosquitoes. And you could hear them. And it was just like this hum, this giant hum. Anyway, so that was that was our, we, we weren't supportive. And so we, we didn't really make enough money to, to get a hotel room. We were barely making enough money for gas. And as a matter of fact, once we got to Arizona and we were staying at Jeff Hook's mom's house, we had to wire, we had to basically tell Jonathan to send us $250 for gas to get to LA because we had a gig in LA. Yeah. And, uh, so no advance. And so we started, we played our gigs. And as we worked our way up the coast, we played a couple where, in essence, uh, and it happened a couple of times. Like it happened in New York, and it ha- happened in Cincinnati. 
where Michael and Doug would take off and go have fun and where me and T-Man would be left to set up the stage and ah. set up the, all the equipment. And it happened in San Francisco. And here I had the flu. And here I w- and it was actually me by myself because T-Man had gone with him by this time. Yeah. So I ended up, we were playing the chatterbox again. And no, no, the covered wagon. And I ended up setting up Doug's drums, setting up the bass amp, setting up everything. And I was basically the roadie. The club manager was <clears throat> pushing me hard. I was the only guy there. So we played the gig. And then I, uh, I got really sick. And I ended up crawling in the back of the station wagon and just kind of passing out and basically trying to get healthy again. And we got to the Siskiyou Mountains. Um, I think we were north of Eureka. And and here's a little side story. Before we left for tour, we had this 1970 country sedan wagon with a 390 in it. Okay, I knew that engine because my grandfather had a car just like that, only it was an LTD wagon. But I knew that engine, and I knew that carburetor. And uh, I told the guys, I said, okay, let's spend 100 bucks. And let's just take this carburetor off and get a rebuilt carburetor and put it on there because the float's sticking on this carburetor. But they didn't want to do that. And and I ended up doing a lot of the driving because, in a large sense, I was the only one who I, – I I literally do come from a truck driver family. But <laughs> anyway, I, I you, you would have to feather the gas pedal to get, keep the carburetor from sticking. Yeah. Because we actually – when we were in New York – the car shut off and would not start again in the Holland Tunnel. Oh, no. I'm not kidding. I swear to God. And finally, somehow, by miracle, it got it started back up. But anyway, we were in the Siskiyous, and we encountered some construction. And the car died. And I, by that time, I had blown a gasket. <laughs> Literally. I mean, yeah. the carburetor had blown a gasket on it. <laughs> and uh, so the battery, you know, you would crank, 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 the battery would run down. Okay, all right, well, you got to get a jump. While we were in the Siskiyou Mountains, we were just beyond this construction. Nobody would help us. Fortunately, a guy, a construction guy in a truck came up, and he gave us a jump and get it. But by that time, I had already blown a gasket, and I'd gotten pissed off, and I pulled all my shit out of the, you know, my bag, out of the back of the wagon, started walking down the road. I was going to walk to Wairika, which was the next town. Yeah. I was going to call my girlfriend and have her wire me the money to send me a bus ticket so I could buy a bus ticket and get, get on a bus and go home. Yeah. In essence, basically, I had said, fuck you guys yeah. at that point. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, anyway, the car started. I put my shit back in the station wagon, got in the back of the car, and fell asleep. And uh, we, uh, I think we had a gig in Vancouver that we actually canceled. And uh, by the time I got home, I never called him back. Huh. And uh, nobody called me either. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe Doug called. Maybe Doug called. I can't remember. But anyway, uh, that was, we, we had been in a car for 60 days, you know, with each other. And we, we didn't really know how to do that. We didn't, uh, even though I'd spent four years in the Navy hanging out with 365 guys on one ship, you know, 
and uh, being out at sea for 100 days without uh, underway replenishment, you know, uh, even though I'd done all that kind of stuff, there was, I just, I'd, I'd gotten the flu, I'd gotten sick, and I just basically turned into an asshole. And so that's the way I remember it. Now, T-Man, T-Man has kind of a similar story in that T-Man was, he was married and in a committed relationship at the time. And uh, him and I were actually, we would side with each other uh, in some of those situations. And we're talking about basically just the North American tour because none of this ever came out until we actually got on this tour. In other words, our personalities weren't able to weather the extended poverty and uh, <laughs> difficulty of an unsupported tour. And that uh-huh. was the bottom line. And, and at that time, you know, there was no... Never mind. There was, you know, of course, they pretty much sent Nirvana and Tad and everybody else to Germany. And as a matter of fact, Tad played the night the wall came down. I remember that. And, uh, but, uh, I think we were the, the bastard stepson, uh, of Sub Pop. And at the time, we, I felt like we were the bastard stepson. And I, I just felt like, well, you know, <laughs> this is cool and everything. I mean, it took, it took them way too long to release our record. And I didn't know it at the time, but they were broke. <laughs> mm-hmm. they were, yeah, they had their own problems. Huh? They were flat broke, and I didn't know that. You know, and it would have, should have, could have. But uh, long story short is, you know, it, what we did, we did it, and we we did it with a sense of, uh, well, we're not doing this to become rock stars. Uh, while at the same time, we were doing what we had dreamed about as kids. I, you know, I had a lot of personal shit going on at the time that was probably underpinning a lot of that pent-up rage that I had in the back of that station wagon. And uh, I have since realize, you know, that uh, I did the right thing. I mean, had I stayed, had had we continued on, who knows what would have happened. At the time, uh, I was completely convinced that we were the bastard stepson of Sub Pop. They weren't going to do jack squat for us. They were just going to kind of let us wither on the vine. Uh, the way it worked out, though, is, you know, I, I just basically focused on my family. And then we got back together. <laughs> yeah, I focused on my family, and uh, you know, kind of had some uh, some space time. It was probably about a year, year and a half. Michael calls me up and says, "Hey, <clears throat> go out and buy the Rolling Stone right now." So what? What? We're getting written up in the Rolling Stone. So you're fucking kidding me. So <laughs> push came to stuff. Okay, Michael says they want us to play. We got to get back together. They want us to play at the off ramp. Uh, okay, all right, I'm on. And so, you know, we got back together and we started rehearsing again. And uh, so, and it was kind of like old times. We, you know, nothing had changed, especially in the practice space. What had prompted Rolling Stone to do the review that late after the album would have been released? Or was the album released right around that time? No. Um, it was, the CD was released 
The CD, okay, gotcha. The CD was coming out. By that time, of course, Sub Pop had all this money. But there was also kind of a, a personal, I think Grant Alden, who was the guy that wrote the article, who was freelancing for Rolling Stone at the time. Uh, and as far as I know, he's still a freelance. He's actually a really good guy. He's from Kentucky. And yeah. uh, he, him and I kind of hit it off in, initially anyway. I've actually been to his gallery when he had a gallery on Capitol Hill. I bought, you know, I bought art from the guy. I mean, the guy, he's a sweetheart guy. And he had a soft spot in his heart for us. He believed that we were the real thing. He believed that, you know, we were honestly you know, portraying something that wasn't contrived. It was just us. What you saw is what you got. And he liked that. And I think that he wanted to give us a, he was, he was, uh, you know, kind of pissed off like we all were about how it had all become bastardized after Nevermind broke. Yeah, there was a lot of great stuff that was happening like around 89, but by the time Nevermind came out, it started to, kind of transform a bit yeah i wrote a, a paragraph um, uh, I'll, I'll read it to you sub pop later went on to release a cd with additional tracks uh i'm speaking about primal rock therapy uh sp177 almost in reverence to a mighty era that had wilted badly into the brilliantly gleaming spotlight of the hype machine that consumed grunge as well as some of the souls who were participants. <laughs> the, I really believe that. I I, uh, I believe that we lost Kurt because of that. Um, yeah. And uh, the and others, too, not just Kurt. Uh, it, I remember talk, uh, talking, see, I actually saw an interview, and I actually talked to Chris, too. And basically, he said that all, all that touring that they did, they they once they... You know, they were in Europe whenever Nevermind broke. And they had been touring, 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 touring. And then once Nevermind broke, oh, my God, they had to tour even more. He basically, he said that that took Kurt's soul. And that, that's kind of what I wrote that paragraph around. And I wrote up a, a little thing for our Amazon, uh, our Amazon music page because for the longest time, this Japanese band that's called Blood Circus was the Blood Circus on Amazon. Mm. So I had to correct, but I actually emailed the, you know, Amazon has a, I don't know if you know about Amazon, but they have like a band page. In other words, you can design your own band page. If you have mm. an output and if it's published, you can design your own band page and, uh, and then you know, put pictures in it and all that stuff and, and write a little biography. And that's what I did. I told him, I said, you know, blood circus, an American band. The Japanese band just took our name. It's funny. <laughs> Blood Circus broke up, okay? And then Blood Circus reformed without me and T-Man. And they had a drummer named Jeff Ross. And they were a double drummer, and they had another guy playing guitar. And it was Michael and Doug. And they called themselves Blood Circus, but finally they realized, okay, we can't call ourselves Blood Circus. So they named themselves after a gay porn movie. Called heavy, heavy into Jeff, and don't you know that probably a year later there was a California Oasis wannabe band that named themselves Heavy into Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I thought that was funny. Yeah, it's it's uh it's hard to come up with an original name in the uh, rock and roll. That's for that's sure. True. Nothing new under the sun. That's for sure. Yeah, they continued playing up till what ninety seven. I think your bio says was was that as heavy into Jeff? Uh, no, actually, heavy into heavy into Jeff pretty much ended whenever Blood Circus got back together to do that show okay. off ramp, and Blood Circus started playing clubs again. But it had all changed. Mm-hmm. And and nobody liked us, mm. basically. So we started regrouping, and we changed our names a couple of times. We uh, we had a uh, we had a name. We called ourselves Pine Monkey for a while, and then T Man left, and uh, T Man went to California, and so it was me and Michael and Doug. Uh, and then we, we were Pine Monkey, and then we were Cowboy Inhaler. And uh, Pine Monkey was more of a blues-based thing, and then Cowboy Inhaler was a punk blues. We had a harmonica player named Paul Taylor that played with us. And we were a power trio with a harmonica player, basically. And Michael played bass and sang. And actually, some of the greatest stuff, in my opinion, that was ever produced uh, by me and Michael writing songs was the Cowboy Inhaler stuff. Here's a little Cowboy Inhaler for you with a song called My Mountain. Let's go. 
know, Doug studied drums. Doug, Doug's a, a student of drums. Well, he was. I don't know if he still plays that much, but uh, Doug, Doug always had a drum lesson or two every week. He always took lessons, and he's always getting better. Yeah. Yeah, he's always getting better. He's a, Doug's a great drummer. Question I like to ask everybody is, what does music mean to you? And it's kind of an open-ended question. Just answer it any way you'd like. You know, music, music is, you know, it's life for me. I, I'm still, I still play. I play every day if I can. I bring, I bring my guitar with me. Uh, I, I don't have my guitar right now because the guy that I gave it to to be refretted. Uh, he doesn't seem to want to give it back to me. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's kind of sad. Uh, but hopefully, I'll get it back. But uh, yeah, music to me is—it's uh, always been very, very uh, in- integral part of my life. It's a part of my expression. It's—it's uh, it's a part of me uh, connecting emotionally with the world around me. Uh, it's a part of me expressing myself emotionally uh to others individually uh uh it, it uh it, you know i sometimes i find myself connecting with music so much and then i like i'll be talking to my wife about it and it kind of dawns on me oh yeah that's right she doesn't get it like i do <laughs> yeah. but i it's you know i uh and music's always been a huge part of my life i mean even as a baby i my mom tells me stories about how uh, music, I was profoundly influenced by music, and uh, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's my philosophy, it's my religion, it's, it's my uh, hobby, it's my uh, profession, it's, you know, it's everything. It's, uh, it's uh, aside from my family, it's the love of my life. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I also play in a couple of bands, uh, and we toured through Portland a lot of times. We used to play at suburbia a lot which i don't think it's there anymore that was yeah i don't think it is yeah cool a bunch of the guys from um well pig champion was living there for a while but uh wow passed away and stuff but yeah yeah we we went up to and played at an okay hotel with the mdc from you know we all traveled up together from portland and stuff pretty cool very cool. Okay, hotel. I remember when those guys were were actually building that club, and I worked <laughs> in a hard I worked in a hardware store at the time. Wow! And uh, then they ran into me, and they didn't they didn't know. Oh, and I said, "Well, yeah, yeah, I'm, I play in Blood Circus." Oh my God, no, really? You know, and it was like, no, it was it was cool, and uh, yeah, yeah, that was. Uh, and then they they bought so much stuff, and they actually ended up opening an account with that store. Anyway, <laughs> that store is actually how I got on the path of where I'm at right now uh, in my uh, my life's occupation. And I put quotation marks on occupation. <laughs> yep, yep. Um, I'm working on my MBA um, uh, and with a concentration on sustainability. And uh, um, that's kind of where I'm at career-wise. I have two young sons. Uh, my oldest is 11. He's autistic. Uh, and my youngest is eight. And, uh, I, my wife, I met about 15 years ago, uh, met her in Seattle. She's a Seattle girl raised in Bellevue. Um, and, uh, uh, the work called me down to Portland. I moved there about three years ago. 
So you're doing uh, engineering sustainability projects? Uh, I am. I, I work primarily in water, uh, waterworks, uh, utilities, uh, materials. I, I'm, I, cons- I call on consultants, engineers, uh, architects sometimes. Uh, I sell a line of uh, rainwater harvesting systems. Uh, I also sell a line of water meters. Uh, I sell a line. I, I work for a manufacturer's rep. I, I don't, I'm, I'm actually still kind of a, I'm working for the man, so to speak. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. but, uh, this MBA is something that I'm hoping to be able to, uh, step out, maybe become a consultant myself, uh, uh, you know, and kind of ride this, uh, sustainability wave that seems to be happening. And Portland seems to be a, a very good hotbed for that right now. So also Michael Anderson's involved in some kind of, uh, environmentally, friendly concrete production or something like that yeah uh, mike uh, michael is a uh, uh, a contractor uh he has his own contracting business uh he he's a really um very good carpenter um uh, and uh a, uh a very good concrete mason he, he does foundation work uh um gosh i don't know what he's doing now uh, work-wise, uh, last time I talked to him, uh, his wife, uh, he lives on Vashon Island and his wife works for a, uh, 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 what do they call it? Um, you know, the bones that whenever you go to anatomy class in college and you study bones, uh, skeletons and, uh, anyway, he, he, they make those models there, yeah. medical, medical models, basically, of, uh, skeletal, whether it's, uh, uh, for uh, animal study or human study, they have all. It's he calls it the bone factory. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, she, he, his. I mean, I've been on job sites where he's worked before, and I've seen. I've actually seen some of his work. And uh, yeah, he he's. Uh, he, Michael's a very interesting person. Uh, as I've uh, as I got to know him after Blood Circus, he was actually. Um, he lived in the same house that I lived in. We, uh, uh, I had a duplex and I subletted the, the downstairs apartment to him. And, uh, we, uh, we became very close. Uh, and, uh, I, I ended up, uh, babysitting his daughter, uh, my girlfriend that I had at the time. Uh, we, uh, we were, we were like a family. Uh, wow. literally. Yeah. Michael and I got pretty close and, uh, <laughs> But as close as you can get to Michael, let me put it that way. <laughs> Michael's kind of a, he's, uh, he's brilliant. I, I, I can't think of another way to put it. He's, he's very brilliant, but it's in a very organic way. You know? Yeah. 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 What about, uh, Doug and, uh, T-Man? Where, where, what are those guys doing these days? Well, Doug is a, uh, he works for a subcontractor of Microsoft. Um, uh, and, uh, he basically is a support to, technician for the Microsoft cloud-based uh, business suite. So I actually talked to Doug about three days ago because Doug and I are going to get together and do this uh, mastering session with Chris Hansick, and we've been planning that. And uh, I, I I talked to Doug most of all, probably, of all the other band members. And uh, Doug has uh, a little girl named Ava, and he's uh, – He's pretty much uh, settled down with the family, kind of 
in the same way that I have. So we have a lot more in common. I mean, our kids have played together before and, uh, Doug is, uh, his wife, Teresa, uh, is a, uh, costume designer for right now. She's, she's a union scale costume designer. Uh, she works for the fifth Avenue theater and Teatro Sinsani, uh, which is, a uh, a outdoor tent theater that is a ongoing running theater has been running for, you know, probably a decade now in Seattle. Uh, very, very uh, interesting and uh, creative uh, costume uh, output on her part. And I, she's, she's gotten up there. She, you know, fabric and costume design and all that stuff was her, uh, always her. Uh, that was what she studied in school, and and uh, she uh, she's made a career out of it. That's great. And uh, yeah, Doug. Before Doug got into, uh, um, before he got into uh, this systems system support uh, of which he has just recently taken on. Uh, he ran a landscaping business for a long time. Yeah, Doug got sick of doing landscape. I mean, he he did that for ten years. He. You know, rain or shine. Seattle is not the, the most wonderful place to run a landscape business. And uh, <laughs> he switched careers. And uh, he actually got training uh, and uh, got certified, Microsoft Systems Engineer certified. Uh, and uh, now he's doing support work for Microsoft. Let's see. Uh, Tracy, T-Man is his nickname. Tracy. Um, who is originally from Olympia, but uh, Tracy is a uh, a brewmaster, and he brews Noble Ale. I don't know if you've heard of it before. I don't know. But I'm going to check it out, though. I, I like it, the brews. Yeah, it's a pretty reasonably popular uh, brew, and they have several, you know, iterations of Noble Ale. And I, I want to say it's Placaville, California, but I don't think it is. Oh, yeah, no problem. So, But it's Noble Ale. I can look it up. Yeah, actually, it's funny. Um, I grew up in Kent, Washington, and uh, lived next to a guy named Chris Wells, and I told him I was going to be interviewing you, and he goes, oh, my, T-Man's my cousin. <laughs> I oh, really? Funny. Yeah, <laughs> I, I've met Chris. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's interesting. I, I wish T-Man were... Uh, I wish you were on board with us tonight. I, I wish all three of the other guys were on board for that matter. Um, but you know, it's, uh, I, I've recently taken on the kind of the cloak of being, uh, kind of webmaster, uh, uh, Facebook page master. Uh, I'm selling the t-shirts. I'm selling the CDs. You know, I've got the online presence and I'm kind of the computer geek of the, of the four of us, even though Doug is, even though, Doug is yeah. <laughs> yeah, even though he's a Microsoft system, certified systems engineer. I mean, I, it's hard for me. To, I never, he doesn't even have a Facebook page. I mean, well, he's a drummer after all, right? <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. <laughs> Lighthearted joke, Doug. Don't, uh, don't be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think he, he'll understand. What, what other projects are you working in right now? Anything? I'm, I'm kind of on a roll. Uh, songwriting wise uh, I've got a Rickenbacker 12 string I've been recording tracks and uh, creating drum sequences and it's uh, well you can't really categorize it but it, it's psychedelic and it's uh, in, I've recently uh, my guitar playing style has I've recently adopted a uh, finger picking style uh-huh. where I, uh, I I use a standard pick with my 
my thumb and my first finger. But then, like Roger McGuinn, I use metal finger picks on the tips of my second and third finger. So I use, I've been working on, I studied classical guitar for seven years after Blood Circus. And uh, I'm incorporating some of that technique that I learned from classical uh, into my electric uh, 12-string work. It's uh, eventually I'm going to play a gig. It's I'm building up to a gig. Uh, I have some friends that have a coffee shop in my neighborhood. <laughs> it's really low key, and they have an o- they don't really have an open mic. They just book people in. Yeah, uh, and uh, uh, they want me to play. They've been asking me to play. They've been begging me to play. Uh, she's been basically uh, bombing my Facebook page to get me to play. <laughs> sending me Facebook every time I buy my coffee beans there. I mean, in Portland, coffee is pretty important, or at least oh, in, yeah. in my life, coffee is very important. So I have a I have a pretty nice coffee machine, and uh, you know you can always uh, friend me on Facebook if you want. I mean, I'd oh, love to be. Yeah, definitely. And yeah. you can see there's lots of stuff in there about blood circus there, and then you can see my kids and my family, and I have a bunch of kids. I have a, I have a ton of kids. I got more kids than. Most people deserve, and uh, yeah. So I got grown kids. I got little kids. I, I got all God's children's got kids. You know, it's like, uh, and I've been working a lot on my blues technique uh, with my acoustic guitar, and I play bass, and I got my kids in piano lesson. My two boys in piano lessons, and we have a drum kit too. So we have a music room downstairs. I have. I have my studio upstairs in my office. I don't know. I'm I'm getting the itch. I'll be honest with you. I've been involved ever since this whole Sub Pop 20 thing came along. I've started getting the itch again. And uh, uh, I'm, you know, I haven't said everything I want to say. You know, Blood Circus is not the sum total of what I wanted to say musically. And uh, oh, of course, yeah. And I'm not a, I'm not a spring chicken. I don't know if you know how old I am, but uh, I mean, I was a I was in my 30s when I played with Blood Circus, so that gives you an idea of how old I am. So I'm, I'm, I'll be 53 this year. Do you got anything else you'd like to promote? Um, fan websites, uh, Facebook pages, anything else you'd like people to know about if they want to get more information about you or Blood Circus? Uh, yeah, BloodCircusUSA.com is our band is our website. Uh, you can buy, you can download singles off of that. Uh, you can also go to the Sub Pop website. Our CD is still available, miraculously. It's not selling very well, but it's still there. Michael's band is uh, in Vashon is uh, the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse, and uh, he's playing in a band. And T-Man has a band down in California that he's playing in. Uh, I think it's called, like, Regular Folks or uh, something like that. Gosh, and we have so many... So many people like uh, Brian Nelson, uh, the drummer from Gorilla. He's, uh, he's got a studio, uh, and he's in a band called Dead Man. They're really good. Uh, they play out a lot in Seattle. Uh, buy their records, for God's sakes. That's all I can think of right now. Thank you so much for your time. It's been just a pleasure talking to you, and I'm so glad I was able to get you on the show. Oh, great, Dan. Uh, the pleasure is all mine, really. Believe me. Um, it's, it warms my heart to to know that you're out there doing something like this and that it's well done and it's a necessary uh, biographical 
footnote for us. And uh, uh, I, I'm just honored, really, really, from the bottom of my heart. I really am honored, and I appreciate all your hard work on this. Thanks again to Jeff Robinson. What a great interview. You can find out more about Jeff and Blood Circus at bloodcircususa.com. Jeff is also on Facebook. Check him out, Jeff Robinson. We're going to check out one more song by Cowboy Inhaler, this one entitled Again. Thanks again for checking out Music Life Radio. Fade away, I won't fade away. It's the end of another day and I've come on home to be with you again. Don't cry 